Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome listeners to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. I've been very fortunate since I started hosting this podcast to be able to meet a wide range of talented, creative and accomplished filmmakers, artists, storytellers, um, so many interesting people, so many creative people, and I'm very happy to say that uh, we're going to continue that today. So as I thought about all these previous guests, if I had to make a chart where I could plot all the different positions our guests have held, different types of content they've created across a variety of mediums and genres, it would be some sort of crazy three-dimensional quadrant, multi-axis, matrix type of minority r- report thing. Uh, so keeping with that tradition, our guest today is a multi-talented actor, writer, director. Uh, He's worked in documentary, dramatic, and other forms of storytelling. And there's a lot more that I could tell you about him, but I think you'd rather hear it from him. I'm happy to welcome my special guest today, Aaron M. Abelto. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, man. I'm I'm glad to be here. So, like I said, you've done a lot. You've worn many different hats, titles. Uh, Most importantly, you and I share one of those which is having called New York home yes. at, one, at one point. But uh, let's go back to the beginning. Where did all this start for you? Most individuals read my uh, my biography, right? That's on probably on IMDb, on my website, and, you know, wherever else. But um, there's an interesting story. I don't really like to say a lot. I was actually born in New York. But in reality, I am a Floridian. I've been here for, like, 30 years, I guess. I only lived there in New York for, like, maybe, like, one one month and then i was here i literally moved you know my parents brought me down here but um yeah it started it started when i was really really young i was always an entertainer you know like i would go to parties with my cousins and family and everyone's all shy and i'm out there having fun and meeting people and bringing them here bringing them there and they're like oh can you introduce us and i'm just like hey i'm the life of the party i love being the life of the party i don't know kind of sounds a little <laughs> weird to say that but um yeah being being down from down here now so um, yeah, just just something I love to entertain, just entertaining individuals, just even having conversations with you right now. I love this. This is this is fun to me. And that's how I really got started in, in you know, wanting to be in the entertainment industry. You know, at first I was a little shy when I was going through high school. You know, I was afraid to, you know, be on the stage and all those things. And then as I progressed and got more and more, you know, into to liking this industry, you know, I went to college and I broke out, you know, and I mean, I don't know, man. It's, it's I love this, man. It's interesting. You bring up two very interesting points that when you were younger, you know, you were the life of the party. You love to entertain. You love to be that. But you were also shy and introverted. And on a, one of our recent podcasts, spoke with an actress and talked about how a lot of times it's the shy introverts that gravitate towards acting because they don't have to be themselves. They could become someone else when they're on stage or in front of the camera. Is that something you found to kind of help you overcome the shyness when you were younger? Yes and no. So- the, yes, it is part of, you know, once you overcome it because you can be someone you're not, which is it's weird. Again, it's, it's odd to say that, but <laughs> but that's what you are in, in reality. And when you're playing a character, you're becoming someone else. And that's what makes you good. And that's I would I would give that advice to a lot of my young actors and people up and coming in the industry. Remember, you are playing a character. You are not playing yourself. You could play yourself. You play yourself every day, you know, but the no part was also because as I grew 
like when I was while I was growing up, I was I guess I used to listen to a lot of individuals and they kind of would skew you a little bit like, why are you going to be an actor? Why are you this and that? So it was it's it's both case. It's it's even case, you know. So you moved to Florida when you were younger and obviously, you know, went to school down here. Was it when you were in middle school or high school that you started, I guess, more formally performing or getting involved with some of that type of stuff? So I would say high school that started for me, but it's a caveat. You're going to like this. So when I was growing up, my dad, you know, God rest his soul, you know, he passed away recently. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that no, was tough, but um, I have a story about that too. But um, when I was younger, you're going to laugh who my hero was. <laughs> Everyone laughs at this. I was a big Indiana Jones fan. Who wasn't? I wanted to be. I have a photo. I will literally, I will send it to you. I have a photo when I, I we went to um when they were I guess it was called MGM Studios when it, well when it was uh, we went there and I literally have my face my face put into the Indiana Jones yeah. picture and I'm there holding the whip and. That's a, little, that's a little embarrassing. <laughs> no, I think it was my 16th or 17th birthday. My parents got me an Indiana Jones fedora because I was so into it. I'm so jealous right now. I am so <laughs> jealous, right? But yeah, that's that's. I think that's where it really, really started with me because I would. It, it was an interesting story. Like my dad went to work one day, right? You know, he used to work. He worked at FedEx, and literally, he's working and all this stuff. And Indiana Jones came on, and I'm like, this is so cool. So I call him in the middle of his job, <laughs> literally, Dad, the Indiana Jones. Line. He's like. You call me for this? <laughs> and I'm like, I was just so in love with it. And and even like when I played with my little um characters, you know, like action figures, yeah. I would make these stories up and, you know, be creative, which is interesting because uh, that's where I, I think that's where I got my creativity, just using my imagination, which today I don't think imagination is used that much, but I just like making making stories. It's more much more fun to make stories. Yeah. So the Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, obviously a big inspiration of you. What were some other inspirations as you were growing up? I would say definitely stuff Steven Spielberg did. Um, I do tribute myself to follow his example. So when I first started, you know, really getting into the industry, what I used to do. So the documentary I saw, the Spielberg documentary, it reminded me a lot of him, uh, myself, a lot of him, because what I would do when I first started in this industry, I was an extra, right? So what I would do is go on film sets as extras, you know, because I want to be an actor and all this stuff. And I wouldn't get put in the front. I would literally, they, they would put me in the back. Like, oh, I'm sorry, man. You're not good looking enough to be in the front. We want the hot girls and the hot guys. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm here getting paid. So I used to sneak behind the crew and I got close with the crew members and they would teach me like, hey, look, this is the lens we use. This is this. I got cool with the producers. I cool, got cool with the directors. So when I would get booked on extra roles, I would know the crew and they'd be like, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Come over here. Come hang with us. And I would literally be hanging with the crew and I learned so much. So I literally went to school, which is similar to what Steven Spielberg did. He literally went on Universal's backlot and pretended he worked there. And eventually they were like, oh yeah, he, he the guy worked here. He's, he's there. You know, he's uh, I think Spielberg is the most one of the most famous film school rejects ever. He, he was rejected more because of his grades than uh, than I think from UCLA or USC, one of the one of the big ones. And what you said is so important to people who want to. People are always asking, you know, how do I get into the business? You know, what do I do? There's no blueprint, but you know, you got to take your own initiative. You got to, like you said, you know, if you're an extra, it's easy to just sit in a green in a waiting area, waiting to be called. You know, you're put in the background, but if you can, you know, go hang out. Yo, with the grips, go hang out with this. Um, I would be careful about hanging out with the camera department. They tend to be a little territorial and, and finicky about 
about outsiders, but uh, you know, I call it learning by osmosis. You just you pick up so much just by being you know in an environment, yeah, you know, I mean, around that stuff. If you think about it, a film set realistically is similar to like in the business world when you go to a networking event. It's literally a networking because you meet people that or individuals that are actually doing projects, and you're like, hey man, I got a project. You want to be on it? You want to do this? And that's what I believe that it it does. It literally gives you that connection. You know, I've met a lot of a lot of the people that I work with on a lot of the um, projects that I work with now. I met them on film sets. Mm-hmm. They were literally doing a job, and I said, "Hey, man, you're doing a great job. Would you want to be on this project?" And then they've stuck with me since then. And you know, I want to say thank you to them all for sticking with me. I know it's it's been rough, but <laughs> thank you for sticking with me. Yeah, and probably more so than any other industry, networking is so vital. Not even important. It is vital if you want to work in this industry to know how to network to make. Uh, connections and you know your reputation is really your calling card yeah, a lot of times yeah, yeah exactly because uh, you know an interesting story here like when I first got my first distribution deal it was one of the hardest things to get and the reason why it was one of the hardest things to get is because I didn't network I didn't know anything so I literally went to AFM which is the American film market I think and I went there and I was beating the ground meeting people and all this I got my first distribution deal after that I started working with um I got I'm sorry I got referred to a bigger distribution company, which I did with my second film. And all of a sudden, like I started this, getting getting to know people, getting that. And that's how I went. That's how I was able to distribute all my films. That network, network. What really propelled you into the industry? Was it in college? Was it after college? What, you know, I guess, you know, you started out as an extra. And was that just something you wanted to do? Did you fall into it? Did somebody say, hey, they're looking for extras? Yeah, you know, come on by. So my first love is acting. Like I, I love acting. Like I love becoming a character. And it's so funny. I'm actually went into acting and became a, a good actor. It helped me become a even better director, which is wild, which is another story. But um, what happened is after college, uh, a friend of mine at the time, he had came down here and he had asked me, he said, you know, you told me you want to be an actor. You're ready to do this. And I said, yeah. So he got me to sign up with this um, company. Oh, the company will remain nameless for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but uh, when I signed up with the company or the talent agency, they got me on um, Step Up Revolution. That was my main first start. When I got into Step Up Revolution, oh my God, it was amazing. Like I got a small role. It was a speaking role. You see me in the intro, which is wild, but it's a long story. But I started to do that and I started to work with that company. And and all of a sudden I started to get roles on the Glades. I started to get roles on when it was down here, Burn Notice and multiple commercials. And I was like, you know what? This is the start of my career. Like I really want to do this. I, I finished college and I was like, look, I'm, I'm on this 100%. I'm not giving up. Were you able to get your card after that first role? My SAG, SAG card? Yeah. I'm eligible. I just haven't joined it yet. There's a reason why. It's an interesting reason why. Let's hear about it. So this is advice for everyone out there. SAG is a great thing to join. But here's the thing. Remember when you join the the union, you cut your jobs in half because a lot of jobs are union. A lot of jobs are non-union. Remember when you're union, you're going up against a lot of the people that are. You make sure that you have a good enough demo reel. Or your headshots, everything. Make sure you have good enough to compete because in reality, if you don't have, you're not going to be able to compete with the the top the top elite. You're, you're, you're cutting yourself short. But does that also really depend on where you're working? I mean, if you're in one of the three hubs, if you're in New York, L.A., uh, Georgia, it's 
probably beneficial to have a SAG because those t- the bigger productions tend to be union. But the torture scene in Florida, you know, it could definitely work against you because they're non-union. And I know if a producer signs like a SAG actor, there's a whole bunch of hurdles and paperwork and things that have to be be done. Well, it's interesting because there's it's a twofold thing here because I work um, also as a producer of a pro- of projects, you know, so I we you know have to be on the ins and outs, you know. So what I've learned is that as if we're going as an actor, as in, purely as an acting. It does depend on where you are, but the problem with it is this. If I'm going to cast you in, in my project, right? I'm the, the producer of a project, right? And it's a non-union project. I can't even cast you if you're, um, I'd have to go to SAG, make it a SAG project. So just imagine that, let's say I just wanted to hire you to be on this. I want to give you a main role, this exposure, but I can't. Right. It's really interesting. I had a conversation with a young actress recently and she's like, I, I think she's 19 and she was complaining. She's like, you know, I just, I look young. They're only going to cast me, you know, as 14 or 15 year olds. And I was trying to explain to her, you don't realize what a benefit that is for you because casting an adult to play a teenager and not having to cast a teenager where you're restricted by work hours, restricted by labor laws, restricted by having parents or tutor on so whether you're union or not. And, uh, and she was finally, you know, I finally got through and she's like, oh yeah, I think it is. It is good. So, you know, there's acting, it's, it's tough. There's so many variables and so many things to consider. Uh, but you mentioned you also produce, you write, direct, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, you wear so many hats. You do too many things. Is there one that you're finding yourself gravitating to more these days or one that you enjoy more? If you would have asked me that question two, three, I would say four years ago, I would have said, yes, there's one that I would gravitate to. Now, I don't think so. I, I don't have a specifics. You know, even though I, acting is my first love, I don't mind taking the back seat to do other to do another position because I've learned something. It's so funny. Um, one one of the things that I learned, I tell a lot of individuals about this, and this is they want to take this information, they can take it. You need to own your own stuff. You you don't want to be part of a project and you don't own it in a sense. So be by being a producer. You know, you don't have to be the writer. You could if you want to. But being a producer, you know, if you're one of the actors, if you're the director, if, if you own your project for the rest of what the years it has, you, you it's yours. You know what I mean? Because what happens in reality sometimes is that when we gravitate to one position, you're stuck there. As an actor, I tell, and I tell a lot of individuals, I'm like, actors are kind of the, unless you're the top build character, you're the lowest on the totem pole. Because here it is. The producer, I tell everyone, everyone I know, be a producer. Why? Why be a producer? They get paid first. They're the first people to get paid. You're the, the actors are really the last, unless you are the top bill actor. And guess what? I'll use Tom Cruise as an example. Tom Cruise owns the company Skydance, right? Skydance produces his Mission Impossible films. He's the lead actor. He's not the director. He's not the writer. But guess what? He gets paid first. Without even being, he gets paid first. He's yeah. the first one. And it's interesting. If you go you know, go on IMDb and look at a lot of the, the A-list actors, look at their acting credits, and then look at their producing credits. It's about like either tripled or quadrupled the amount. I know like Brad Pitt, huge producer. Reese Witherspoon is really. And who did I just look up recently? Uh, the Rock. The Rock. Toby Maguire is a big producer that I know. But, but like you say, you know, they get paid first and it gives them a you know, bigger stake in, in the end in the end product. Yeah, you want to have control over it. I mean, look at Marvel. Marvel, Kevin Feige owns everything. You know, and look, they had the little spat with um, um Black Widow Girl. Man, I have a crush on her. Scarlet. 
Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. I have a crush on her, man. <laughs> Even since I was young, I had. Her. But yeah, she has a little had a little spat with Disney, and she's not Black Widow anymore because of that. And she, you know, she wanted you know a majority of the time you want control over your likeness and everything, and you know. Well, and that was an interesting case, like that the industry went through with the whole move to streaming. I always say, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. You know, so that. But apparently, like the contract had said, there's going to be you know such and such um, theater releases with this, and you're going to X amount of that, and they basically reneged. On the theater, didn't put it in theater, put it on streaming, which didn't help a growing rift, I think, between the business side and the talent side that's going on at the big studios. I mean, and that's why the independence, the independent studios are taking over right now. I mean, look at it, all the Oscars, you know, they're all independent studios, they're not major studios. So when do you remember the moment when you started moving from acting into producing or directing and writing? Yes. Actually, do so. I was doing my first, so I was doing my first film, um, first feature film, I Before Thee, and uh, which is streaming on Amazon Prime, um, Apple TV. It's a whole bunch of places. You Google it. I, I always forget where it is. It's all. It's everywhere. What I do is, um, when I first did that, I had contacted one of my friends because I didn't know anything about directing, and I literally asked him. I said, "Hey, can you um, direct my project?" When when we went through the whole thing, he couldn't do it. You know, and then I had a friend at the time. He was my co-star in the movie. He, um, I gave him the script. He read the script. He was like, oh, man, it's a good idea. He's like, we should do it. And I said, you know what? I, I don't have a director. And he was like, so why don't you just direct it? You know, this is your project. Why don't you do it? You know, you, I, I believe in you, you know, and people believe in me. So, and that's how I did it. I literally just did it. And then ever since that, I've always been directing and acting in projects. I mean, I guess the modern day Clint Eastwood. <laughs> do, do you find it hard to direct yourself? No. <laughs> no. Do you find it a challenge when you're you're acting in a scene, but you can't see what the camera's seeing, so you're not, you got to go either go back and watch the replay, or do you just trust, do you put your AD kind of in charge, in charge of it? How do you manage that? So, yeah, you do put your AD in there, but I, you know who I, I built such a rapport with my director of photography, David Escorcia. One of the things I would say for um, directors coming up, have a great rapport with your DP. Your DP will make you look great. David will see, I will tell David the scene. And he'll literally see everything. So he already knows. I don't even, he just said, look, he, he's like, look, you always hit your mark no matter what. So he's like, as long as you hit your mark, I got you. You know, and he, and then he'll come to me and be like, you know what? I want to do a different shot. And I'm like, what shot? All right, I want to do this. Let's do it. You know, we built a rapport and that's, that's what makes, that's what makes it much easier. Absolutely. I mean, trust the experts around you and surround yourself with good people. Um, you mentioned independent filmmaking. That's a, that's a topic I definitely want to jump into. But before that, we would like to give a very special thank you to the M2 Productions who are graciously hosting today for this recording. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. back today i am joined by aaron m abelto aaron you really personify what a true independent filmmaker is and and can be we've talked you know a little bit you know both at breaks and before we met about some of your inspirations and one of our common inspirations that we're both big fans of is robert rodriguez's book rebel without a crew uh can you talk about how that impacted you and why if you're an independent filmmaker you need to read that well before i do that i actually want to say um thank you for your service oh thank friend. you i just i, I ladies, appreciate that ladies and gentlemen i just found out he was uh in the service and i want to say thank you again for your service for protecting us thank you i appreciate that okay back to back to the point <laughs> um i would say yes that's a great book to read because here's the thing um in the society we're in right now the filmmaking era we're given so many tools to be able to make films. You know, back in maybe 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have the tools that we have now. 
So you can make your films. And and if you read about Robert Rodriguez and what he did, you know, as the one man band, I mean, the one, did I say it right? One man, one man band? band. Yeah. yeah I think Forgetting right. a lot of things. <laughs> so um, yeah, the one man band, literally, like you said, a rebel without a crew. He had no crew. He was the one, he had a camera. He had, I think, um, a, a mic, just all these different things. And he literally just made a film. He made a great film. Was it El, Ma- El, Ma- El Mariachi? El Mariachi. It won a, I think it won a, um, it won a Sundance. It did. And, um, just what's cool, and I want to give a little ex- ex- excerpt from the book, and I think this is amazing what he did. Um, and again, I, I, again, it's a recommend, it's a read. Um, to make money for his production, he went and did testing. Like he would let people. Oh, I forgot what it was. It was a lab rat. Y- yes, he literally. I was, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I go pick up garbage or something. Yeah. But he literally was a lab rat, literally, and. Because he had so much passion for his drive and what he wanted to do, he literally do it. And you know what? I have a small little interesting story about that. When I was doing a lot of my films, I, a lot of individuals would tell me like, oh, man, how are you going to get this done? How are you going to get this pulled off? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to get it done somehow. And what's interesting about that, when he was you know, a lab rat, he'd be isolated for however many days, 30, 60 days. He'd write. And like he, it worked both ways. Not only did he get money, but it forced him into the solitude where he could focus on, on what he had to do. During that time, and what's also really interesting about that book, you know, you talk about networking, you talk about hustling, and you know, really making do with the resource. He was able to, you know, get extra film stock from school. He was able to, you know, work with a guy to do prints. He, you know, hired, you know, extras from town. He was also in every phase of the production, which is something that I recommend um, filmmakers, directors, producers to be in every phase. You don't have to be fully in it. Get to just, just. Like I would say, get into it in a sense of like this. For example, my producer that I work with, he's also my business partner and his wife. Like they are Rajesh, Rajesh Felix. He's my business partner and um, producer of all my films. He calls me every other week and says, "Hey, how's the production going? What, what 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 do we need? Do we need anything?" And he just checks in. He literally does what Jerry Bruckheimer does with Michael Bay. He calls and says, "Hey, what's going on? All right, cool. I don't need to be on set today. I don't need to clog any um holes. I don't need to to patch anything. Any band aids? No, no, you're good. And that's what I tell people: just check in on your project. Don't just all right, check in once and then check in. All right, when's it coming out? No, no, no. You need to be a part of it. Jump from day one to day twenty five to day on one hundred to release. Yep, and even post release. You know when you got you know talking distribution." talking marketing talking um you know from tv syndication i mean you know that the life's the life cycle of a piece of content especially now with everything i mean it's almost like it never ends if you make something today don't be surprised 10 years later somebody comes and wants to remake it because that's that seems to be what's going on an interesting story about that because um tom cruise did a movie called it's so funny that it was called i can't remember the name of it the original name was ready ready player one no 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 it's a tom cruise movie where he just relives the same day over and over it's with um man i forgot the name of that story but but anyways so what happened is it bombed at the the box office but when it went to video and dvd people were like hey this is actually really good and it made more money in the dvd and platform release than it did in the theaters which was wild well and going back to rebel without a crew all rodriguez wanted to do was make this movie he wanted it to get on like vhs to be sold to like spanish language TVs and sold in Spanish language stores. But again, it ended up at Sundance and just, you know, exploded. I mean, I think after it cost about 7000 to make, but then after Sundance, 
I think investors were able to put a couple hundred thousand to clean up the audio, make it more like studio ready for wider distribution. But again, it's just like I said, it's just an inspiring story. You said something interesting there, studio ready, which is it's it's I've actually run into that more now than I did before in, in my career. When studio ready is wild, because how do you know what is something that's studio ready? Because it, like we produce a lot of content or which is wild because we say content now I'm, I'm we produce a lot of films <laughs> i don't want to say content we don't not content it is what it is but uh we produce a lot of that stuff and our stuff matches up literally to the studio and we use a lot of this the lesser equipment majority of the time you would have to in back in the day you'd have to get a big camera you'd have to do this now we have deals we have dslrs we have cameras that actually are Netflix approved or Hulu approved or Amazon approved. Literally, those cameras you can use. And it's the same footage. It's not because I can show you a footage from a RE, the RE65, which is like top end camera right now. And I can show you from a regular Panasonic S1H, GSG, um, Panasonic S1H, right? And they look the same. You can't tell the difference. So we have the tools now. Yeah, and you know, camera is one thing, but one one thing I've learned from experience and you know from talking on this podcast to to experts, picture is vitally important. Screenplay acts vitally important. The thing that seems to be an afterthought a lot of times is sound. Don't get me started on that. I joked that at one point I'm like, you know what? I'm never shooting outside again because I don't want it to deal with weather in the sun. I'm never shooting sound. I'm shooting indoor silent films from now on. Those are the two factors that just destroy you. Yeah, sound and story are basically the same essentials. Because here's the thing: unless you're making a silent film, visuals don't. Mean I mean, not saying visuals don't mean anything, but it's not going to visuals. Are, when it's silent, it's silent. But imagine you turn on a, a film or a, or a show or something and the audio is like super bad. You're not you're not going to watch it. You're going to be like, ah, this is a wild joke here. It's a little bit of a adult joke here. <laughs> you know, like kids when they were younger, kids today don't understand this stuff. But I, I'm going to throw it out there. You keep it if you want. <laughs> so like when we were younger as kids, we used to have the boxes, you know, the little cable boxes. And when you would watch. I know where you're going with this. You know where I'm going. The, the, scrambled, I'm, I'm, uh, the yes, scrambled, yes. late night Cinemax movies. Yes. So you would listen and try to see the. the oh man. Yeah. It's like oh, I caught a glimpse. I don't want to yeah. dig. I don't want to <laughs> dig a hole right now. I don't want to dig a hole. But you get where I'm going. I with totally it. get what you're saying. But sound was big because you could hear it. You didn't necessarily see it, but you could hear it. But then what you do when you hear it, you use your imagination. And I would say, you know, you know, in film school, they'll, they'll often tell you watch a movie on mute. You know, and see if you could pick up. I've started doing the opposite. I'll actually put a movie on like when I'm driving and listen to it. And really, and if you could listen to a movie without seeing it and get it, um, you know, I, I've done that recently with, with the movie Whiplash. I mean, granted, a lot of music in that, but just listening. So I would, you know, not, and I'm not telling people to watch movies when you drive. I want to be very clear on that, but just put, you know, either a movie on, you know, either on your phone and don't look at it, put on something and just listen to it. it it gives you a whole different perspective yeah it does i mean but again here's another caveat to that um to the mute thing i tell a lot of my 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 friends that are actors i said if you can watch a movie on mute right if and i want you to study your character study the if you can convey the same emotion as you're hearing it then the per the person that was doing the, the acting did a great job and i would also say for those that are interested in directing watching on mute Look past the actors. Look at the messing scene. Look at everything that's taking place and pick up the deliberate choices that are made. You know, why is that thing in the background? Why is that this color? This is a New York thing. Everything, I know you said you only lived there for a month, but New Yorkers, we just tell stories after story after story into one another. So you're, you're going to like this. So um, I can't date 
like right now. Like it's hard for me to date, you know, girls and stuff right now. Oh, you're a busy guy. Well, yeah, but but that's not the point. So it'll be like this. Like the last date I went on, right? I went to we went to the movies. And that was the worst experience she's ever had. To the point where she told me, literally, we're going to break up. I, I don't want to date you. And this is the, the obvious thing is like, oh, maybe I, was, I wasn't interested enough. I wasn't. So literally, it wasn't any of that. She was like, you kept talking during the movie. And I'm like, well, I know. She's like, I, I'm here to watch the movie. And I'm like, damn. I'm, I'm in there like this. Why do you use a two shot? Why is there a close up there? I know what's gonna happen. She's like, shut up the whole time. And I'm like, I, I, it was wild. I can't, you can't watch a movie with me. It's hard. It sometimes it even takes the enjoyment out of it for you because you're not watching it as a movie watcher. You're watching it as a director, or a producer, or, or, or an actor. Yeah, the wild, the wildest thing is when you see continuity errors and you're like, oh my God, why did you do this? And then the, the, the person you're with looking at you and like, you're obsessed. I said, but you know what? I'm not even. I'm not even gonna fr like front or or lie about that. Obsession is something you need to have to to succeed in this industry. You have to be obsessed. If you're not obsessed, you're not gonna succeed. I drive my wife nuts with that because like be watching something and she'll be in the other room or doing, and I'll be like, oh, oh, wait, come here, watch. I'll rewind it, trying to catch it. She, she's like, what am I looking at? Watch, watch this, this, that. See, see how the gun is pointing that way, and then when they, they go to the other shot, it's still pointing the same way. It's supposed to be the other. Way. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's kind of just thus those of us. That are filmmakers, we can't we can't get around it. I did the same way when uh, I played uh, lacrosse in college, and then I coached afterwards. When I put lacrosse on, I go back into coaching mode. I'm like yelling at the screen, you know, slide, you know, that guy's open on the back door, you know, this, you know, why aren't you covering him? It's uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a curse and a blessing. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, it just shows that you're you're you have a passion. I mean, if you don't have a passion for something, then why do it? Like I, I have a passion right now. My passion obviously is, is filmmaking and, and making movies and trying to make it to the next level. But I also, you know, I have other smaller passions. Like I love working out. I work out, I go to the gym every day. I want to live a healthy lifestyle. You know, I, I believe, you know, family's a, a big thing and and staying, staying, you know, staying having fun. You know, living life and enjoying it. And I tell a lot of people those things, you know, you don't have to be a downer, but in order to succeed in the film industry, you have to be obsessed. But you also have to, you know, it sounds like you also managed to find some balance. Yes. You have to have some work-life balance. Yes. You're going nuts. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. But you see, here's the thing. My, me going to like, say, work out or, or run or play basketball or something, that is my um, stress reliever. It's just a getaway. Because the majority of times I'll be out with friends. We'll go watch a game someplace in a bar. And I'm a majority of the time my mind is not is thinking about man I wanna I wanna do this I wanna do this film I wanna do this oh I got this great idea I write it down I take my phone I have a, a app in my phone that I literally whenever I come up with an idea do -do 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 -do, and I write it in there or or when I'm waiting on a plane actually actually I'm traveling next week to um to do a film shoot in uh in El Paso Texas and literally when I'm on the plane I'm typing up scripts I'm this and that you know just, just it's obsessing and and speaking of obsess I think another thing to aspiring filmmakers is you got to have that intestinal fortitude. You got to be, goes back to, you got to be able to face adversity. You have to understand you're going to hear no a lot and you got to learn how to deal with it and work through it. Did you experience a lot of that? And how did you work through it? I, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation with uh, one of my friends um, the other day. I told her, she was like, we were, we were having a conversation about relationships. And I was telling her, I was like, y'all don't know what rejection is. I said, there's multiple people in this planet, but there's only like 10 companies that really will pick up your film. If you get rejected from all 10 of them, literally, I put, you're putting your heart and your soul into this, like you're do or die. And literally they're telling you no. And it's like, man, that's real rejection. Right. Like you, you don't even, and, and then even like the film critics, I had a lot of critics was like, tell me this, 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 and this. And at first I would, re I read every single review. 
and which I would say, if you're out there, ladies and gentlemen, do not read the reviews. Do not. Just take it as face value, whatever, someone writing about it. Because here's the thing. You're going to get consumed by it. And then all of a sudden, you're going to second guess everything you did. Because remember, everyone has an obje- uh, um, their own opinion about something. And you you take you listen to it and you say, okay, cool, thank you, duly noted. But there's film critics out there that they're just never gonna like XYZ type of films. No matter what you do. It could be ninety-eight percent of the critics out there can say, This is the greatest film ever made, and there's always people that are gonna say that. And critics brings me back when I was younger, uh, yeah, there were critics, but really like Roger Ebert, he would make or break a film. You know, he gives your film three and a half stars or three stars, you're good. If if you get like a one star rating from him, your film is gonna bomb, no matter what. And uh, I guess it's good and bad that there's nobody that powerful on a critic side really anymore i mean yeah you can say rotten tomatoes you can say some yeah yeah, i mean you you can but you see here's the thing like a lot of it's so funny i think i think studios and and independent filmmakers i think they figured it out where realistically what you do what they do is social media social media is what is what drives it because here's the thing recently i was i was in the oscar run for my my latest film and I was mentioned with Taylor Swift. I was mentioned with Kendrick Lamar. I was mentioned with Jordan Peele, um, Chris Rock, all these names. Um, the girl who plays, Cap- not Captain America, um, Brie Larson, all of them are in the article with me. And I'm sitting here like, wow, okay. I don't know if I made it yet, but to be mentioned with all that. And it's like, literally, you know, all the critics are seeing that. So it's like, all right, have I arrived yet? You know, so it's it's something that, again, you got to take everything at the face value and be like, look, you take it in. and it, Because a lot of my friends, and you know, filmmaking friends and everything. They're always calling. They always call me and they'll tell me, "Man, I can't believe you're doing this." And then, and they'll be like hyping me up, it's like, "Oh, you're excited! You're excited!" And I'm like, "Yeah." Like, why aren't you excited? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I just I'm just I'll going see. through the flow. Yeah, you know, because you, yeah, you've been there. You know, like I said, it's, I've I've competed for three Oscars. You know, three consecutive years. I don't know if that's a record, but and that congratulations. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. I'm trying to put South Florida on the map. <laughs> I mean, it's on the map already, but yes. I want to I want to make it bigger. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was like after competing for those things and, and you see, you know, you get to that to that level. It was just very difficult to I mean, I say get excited. You know, I'm, I'm excited to be there, but I want to win. I'm here to win. I'm not I'm not here to compete. I'm competing, but I want to win. But it, it's nice to be in the conversation. Yeah. And those are in the documentary category. Well, two of them was two. documentary and the other one was live action. OK, live action. Live action short. Short. OK, great. Which um, you move pretty seamlessly between documentary and you know drama, non-documentary. Is there one that you gravitate towards or one that you like more? I like narratives. I like that. Don't don't get me wrong. I like documentaries too. Documentaries are great. If you can pull off a documentary, um, I give more power to you because here's the thing. Documentaries are, are they're easy for me, but they're also hard because here's the thing. You have to have a, a um you have to have a story or build a story that individuals are going to gravitate to because if they're not gravitating to it, they're not going to watch it. I'll make a story about my shoe. It's a great shoe. And you have to build a story around truth. You know, at least when you're doing a narrative, you can you can make it up as you go along. You see what you just said right there? This was, is one of the things that was tough about doing a documentary. You have to make sure everything you put on there is true. Because you have to fact check everything. Do you remember your first foray into making a drama? Like, you know, when you really just decided, make this movie. And really, like, what your process was like? That's a good story. Wow. So, I'll, you know, like, basically what it was, I went to Los Angeles to have a... I was working on one of my friend's films there. And we were sitting around a round table in the middle of, the middle of nowhere. It's in a, a place called Corona, California, right? Literally sitting in the middle of nowhere. And then we're, um, what are we doing? We're, we're talking about where we're from. Everyone's like, oh, I'm from here. I'm from Palisades. I'm from um, California, San Francisco, blah, blah. 
I'm from Miami. Oh, there's no talent from Miami. It's like, what? I literally, after we were done the shoot, I went home. I was on the plane crying. I hate saying I was crying because I don't know how to cry. But I was upset, sad. And the lady sitting next to me was like, what's wrong? Is everything okay? I was like, no, no, everything's good. I sat in my room for two weeks. Thought about this idea that I want to do, wrote the script, and I said, you know what? I'm going to prove everyone wrong. A chip on the shoulder is a pretty big motivator. And again, it goes back to this. You know, you have to have the grit to be able to work through and, and believe in yourself and, and stick with it. It's, it's not, a, it's, I think the reason overnight success stories get so much attention is because they're so rare uh, when they happen. This is a great conversation. We're going to continue learning more about you as a filmmaker right after we take this quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training, and ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with filmmaker Aaron M. Abelto. Aaron, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this because this is so cool. You've been in consideration for three Oscars. One, congratulations. You know, what what a just an honor to be in those conversations. But how does that come about? Like, what's that journey like to even get to the point of being in consideration? I mean, it just must must have blown your mind the first time it happened. Yeah, yeah, it did. It was um well, you know, it starts off so really what it does is it starts off as um an idea. Like you have an idea for a film and um, you just say to yourself, you know, do I do I think this project is something that's going to woo everyone? And uh, with my first project uh, that I was considered for was um, the power movement, Uh, the power movement, which is follows the story of Dr. Niraj Mehta and uh, about what he does. He's a radiation oncologist that um, helps heal individuals with cancer and mental illness. The positive, you know, reinforcement and, you know, the movement, uh, teaching them how to dance and all that stuff, you know. So it was a great heartfelt story that I thought was like, hey, man, we're in 2020. You know, we're during the deep end of pandemic. It's like we need a feel good story. This is actually something I think that can that can do it. So we did the we were I was finishing up the the documentary and after when I got to the finish of the documentary I was rewatching it my, quite a few times because as a director as an editor you kind of got to look through everything and I said to myself man this is actually actually my shed a tear I think this 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 is the positive movement we need hence movement <laughs> you know the power of movement right. the movement we need to get out of this depression that we're in right now about covid and all that you know stuff and so i found out how to actually compete so you in during the covid year there was no usually what you do is you do either the film festival route but there really wasn't a lot of there were film festivals but it really wasn't in person and all that so the other route was um theatrical we couldn't do theatrical so we were able to, we had a theatrical deal to bring it out, you know, here in Miami and other places, but we couldn't do it. So we had to submit it. We submitted, we submitted it to the Academy and they were like, all right, okay, cool. We, we showed them that we were going to be um, in theaters and everything and said, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we're going to put it in. So they literally put us in because, you know, we had the theatrical run, but we couldn't do it because of, you know, the whole pandemic stuff. And that's how the power movement got in. Um, after the power movement, we had um, Iron Temple. Which is a story about um, IFBB pro Tony Torres on how he overcame adversity in life, which is a lot of what we do in life. We have to come come through adversity. And it was funny because he his story, I thought, was really good for uh, 2021, which is the second year we competed. You know, obviously, the first year we didn't win. We didn't get the shortlist. Shortlist was very hard to get that year, you know, but we did. You know, we competed. Iron Temple, we had even 
better chance to to do it because what I did, I did something different with this movie as opposed to my last one. My last one was a full-on documentary. Iron Temple is not a full-on documentary. It's part documentary, part narrative. So what I did was have the reenactment parts were played like by actors and it wasn't like there, there wasn't a voiceover saying, I went here, I did this and this. No, it was literally seen. So halfway through the movie, I'm putting you in a scene. You're like, wait a minute. Oh, okay. I want you to feel what he felt. Literally, you know that. So I brought a different genre to to that. And that's what I said to myself. Hey, man, maybe the Oscars might see this and be like, hey, this is actually kind of cool. So that's what it was. And we did we did a theatrical run with that and in Los Angeles. And we did one here also. And that's basically how we got qualified. You know, we didn't go through the film festival route because... Um, I'm not a fan of the film festival route right now. I was going to ask like how how important or how big of a role film festivals play in kind of the grand scheme of thing, whether, you know, awards, exposure, trying to get distribution deals, especially for for independent filmmakers. It seems that the uh, the conventional wisdom is you got to get into festivals. You got to get into festivals. I would say yes, you do. Yes, you do. I know you don't. Because here's the thing. At the level that I'm at right now, film festivals don't make sense for me because I've competed, you know, at those major levels and it doesn't. I'm not saying that I wouldn't do a film festival, you know, if a friend of mine is doing a film and I'm acting in it all, you know, I don't mind doing it for them. But the problem with me is that I've already established that, that I don't need to do film festivals, you know, because here's the thing, the thing about us is like, all right, well, we have relationships with uh, distributors. So if I have a film that I want to distribute, I can just go to distributor and be like, hey, we want to get it out to the public. We're going to do this. We want to, you know, make money, bring it here. As opposed to, you know, going to the film festival, what you're doing is, and I say this for, for rookies and sophomores and people that are first starting, you go to the film festival to gain those, as we talked about earlier, the network. You want to get that network so you know this distributor, this person. You want to meet someone at Sony. You want to meet someone at Universal and all those places. And that's how you can grow yourself. Is there a difference, say, I don't know, pick a number, 20 film festivals. You know, you submit to 20, you get into 20 film festivals, or I guess you'd say like swinging for the fences, going to the American film market, like kind of, you know, going to that one big event. Is there one strategy better than the other? Should you try to do both? Are there different approaches to each of them? I would say, yes, there's different approaches to each of them. If you're a rookie, I would say go the film festival route because in reality, like, look, th this is the hard truth. I don't like to sugarcoat the truth with everyone. I, I like to tell them exactly what you're going up against. So here's the thing. If you're doing your first film, this, I should say your first three films, right? <laughs> I don't want to say you're not going to make money, but you're not going to make money. Like this has to be passion. Because here's the thing, you, you're not known. You know, the first uh, an experience I had, I worked with um, one of my, my second film, uh, The Power Movement and um, Iron Temple was distributed by Entertainment Studios, which is, um, they're a big um, major, they actually changed their name right now. I, don't, I apologize. I, got, I don't even know what their name is right now, but they're a major studio. They basically, they own Comcast. So they're a massive studio. And what it is, is when I went into the meeting, in the distribution meeting, like my pitch meeting to them about when I was doing our, um, the power movement. The first thing they asked me was like, oh man, we like this. This is great. We want it. What you got next? I was like, oh, well, I got this uh, sh this movie about uh, a bodybuilding pro. Oh, really? Oh, okay. When do you think it'll be done? Uh, give me about a year now, or a couple months. Like, give me six months. I'll have it done by then. Anyway. So they're like, all right, cool. We got As a, a distributor or, or when you get to that point, they're going to be like, well, what do you got next? You're only as good as your last project. 
So you got to stay, you got to stay relevant. You know, if you think about it, look at certain, you know, actors or directors, they bring out projects every couple of years because they know to themselves, they already made it, they're relevant. But you have people, individuals that are bringing out projects a lot all the time, you know, to stay relevant until they get that big one. It's funny. You said, don't expect to make money. You know, your first few films, according to the big studios, they don't make money either, even though this movie made X billion of dollars, but they didn't cover their costs, but that's topic for a whole other time. So, so I want to go back to the Oscars because it's kind of peeling back the curtain for something I think a lot of listeners don't know. So you actually submitted your own film for Oscar consideration. What is like, I'm sure it's a application process. There's certain requirements that have to be met on that. Can you talk through that a little bit? It's an interesting uh, process because um, if you're doing a, if you're doing a feature film, a lot of people don't even know this. This is, this is going to, this is going to shock everyone. You can't just submit. You have to do a theatrical run obviously, or you got to win a festival, but that's not the caveat thing is you still got to, there's an entry fee to enter, (laughs) to enter a feature narrative feature it's a ten thousand dollar fee it's literally a fee that you have to pay to enter so that's the point a, a lot of individuals will see this and they're like man we got to pay to enter that we probably we probably won't even get this so that's why i say you have to know your project in essence like you, you we talked about it earlier in the break we were like why doesn't michael bay do this michael bay is about he's about making money blowing stuff up and having hot girls like you said <laughs> you know? so you know it just you have to know your project you have to know what it entails and what it's possible what the possibilities are now don't get me wrong don't you don't want to stalemate yourself and say okay well it can only do this no it's possibilities for other things but you have to know your project yeah and for those that are listening you know when when we're in the throes of award season you know even if you don't read all the time pick up a copy of variety and just flip through the amount of for your consideration or you know this consider whether it's going to the emmys the golden globes or all these awards, and it's uh, it's campaigning. An interesting story about campaign. So every single time I've competed, one, two, three years consecutively. I hope I hope that's a record in different categories. I I, I think it is. I, they, they're not they're not telling the, the academy's not telling me something for some odd reason. But um, <laughs> campaigning is not fun. Like it's not fun because the thing is this. I enjoyed it, but you see the thing is is what happens is there's certain things you can and can't say. Like I literally we send all of our, our our stuff out to the voters. And hear this. We can't say who's in it. We can't say, oh, this is up for an Oscar or this is this in this category. You can, for your consideration for best such and such. That's it. You can't. And then it's a, is it up to the voters whether to, to voters. see it, whether they haven't haven't seen it? I mean, and especially with documentaries, I got to, you know, depending on who the voters are, obviously they're not as uh, distributed as wide as you know the, the big name features no, no no and here's the thing like so campaign if i t- like <laughs> it's funny because i remember that they were telling me like all right well you're gonna do the campaign so they're like what's your budget and i'm like huh like, what does what, what, what something like this cost okay well when we were going up so last last year well we were, with iron temple we were going in 2022 we were going the last we were, few years yeah, have all yeah, kind yeah, of blended into one blending, yeah so we were doing iron temple's um oscar campaign right so literally they're telling me like all right well i contacted a pr company so they started getting me interviews and stuff. So they're like, all right, let's look at who you're up against. So I'm like, that doesn't sound good. So he's like, all right. So the first one, you're up against Quest Love's documentary. The music one. I'm sitting here like, rats. Okay. Oh, you're up against this other one. There was another one that was big. Um, oh, Val. Val. You're up against Val, Val Kilmer. Kimler. And, and he, he, they started naming things. And I'm sitting there like, okay. what? Is, so then the lady, the PR lady says this. She says, okay, so let me tell you what they're spending. All right. So this person spent this, this, this. And, then, and they're talking about millions. And I'm like, I'm on my fingers like this. How much can you put? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Not a million. I don't have that. But 
It was crazy. Like that's how it was. They're spending a phone number, and you need to spend a phone number. Well, does does nine one one work? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I had to call nine one one a couple of times. But yeah, so that's how it goes. Campaign. It's a tough. It's a tough road. I don't know if you want to answer this. Like you say, you know, not all voters have watched all movies. How much of it do they vote just on reputation, or what they know about a filmmaker? From my experience, I'm not I'm not quite sure how it is, but it, l- let's bring it into to generality and, and in reality, right? For yourself, let's say you're a voter, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm a voter, right? A majority of the time, it's what we read in social or what we read in this. So what was interesting, this is going to be crazy, and, and this is wild, a little uh, research that we did. When we were promoting uh, and doing the Oscar run for Iron Temple and um, the Power Movement, we killed it on social media. You're going to love it. We killed it. Like, we did ads. We did everything. We killed it on social media. We killed it on social media. But guess what? A majority of the voters aren't on social media. In addition to social media, there must have been, you know, a bit of traditional publicity. Either, you know, interviews, other podcasts, really... You know, getting the word out yeah. there about your films. We did a lot of those. You know, we I, I did I did quite a few. I, it's funny. <laughs> I've done so many interviews and podcasts and and appearances and all that stuff that I I literally had to get a, um uh what's it called someone to teach me how to do interviews. And, and I would say this. I'm talking to camera already. If you are in this industry, please get someone to coach you because when you get someone to coach you, you're going to see a difference in your in your interviewing because because. When you're doing an Oscar campaign, I'll give you a simple example. My um, Lisa, Lisa Arno, she she helped me out a lot during this period of time. She she does like public public relations and all that stuff, right? She, what she did literally, she took me to school on what I got to say. She said, "All right, well, in this interview, you got to say this. Next interview, you got to say this. Do not give every single one you give. Don't give off all this. You you can't say the same thing in every single interview because all of a sudden it's gonna sound redundant. What did you say on this is gonna sound like this? So you have to." Play your part. And I literally did that. And then I was like, wow, I didn't even know that that's that's something you have to do. So you mentioned, you know, you had this great social media campaign. You killed it, but you weren't reaching the voters because they're not on there. How how did you get to the voters? Uh, so they do something called a the, the Academy screening room. Right. So the screening room, they put it up. It's like a it's like a what is it called? again? It's like a streaming. It's like a streaming platform just for Academy you know, individuals. So what I did is obviously I'm pretty sure the the Academy voters are a little bit older than myself. I don't want to say a lot, but a little bit older than myself. Well, well, a little more they're, 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 mature, experienced. Yeah, you know, they might be baby boomers. <laughs> I think, I think. So what we had to do, literally what we did was um we tried to get on to like um Los Angeles platforms and New York platforms because a majority of them are New York and this and then I got a couple of emails from, you know, friends that that know some of the voters or whatever and I literally just said, "Hey, let me send it." You send them an email, they have the screening link, it's on the screening link, it's this and that's how we literally did it. So so you are allowed to send voters a a digital copy of, of yeah yeah digital like a link yes you can send a link yeah yeah digital you're right correct talked about doing interviews and publicity obviously it was all new new to you when you started doing that but it sounds like eventually you you got more comfortable with it having that experience behind you now is that something that when you make your next films you kind of know to tie in that like you know I know I want to do publicity for this I know I want to try to do interviews you know once this film comes out does that play into more of your broader exposure plan yeah. Yeah, you have to. So, I mean, we have coming up soon, you know, we have a, a TV show that we just uh, finished uh, filming the pilot for. So we already tied that into literally everything we're doing. So you, I guess, you know, what you have to do as when you're producing a project, you want to to put everything 
that you know that's going to be out there socially or how it is. You got to, you know, there's certain things you can and can't say, you know, so you got to plan. And one of the things I tell a lot of filmmakers is this planning is essential. You need to plan everything you do. It, even even your social posts or what you're going to say. Like, hey, literally, before I came in here, I literally got on my phone. Hey, guys, how you doing? I'm about to go on the podcast or the interview and this. You, I'm planning, you know, planning the seed because later on it's released and all that. You have to have that in your mindset. But 20 years ago, you didn't do this. You didn't have to. It was literally like, all right, well, just show up here. And, and when the movie's released and you're just going to say this and that. And that was it, literally. Yep. Well, you know, preparation, there's the six or seven Ps, depending which ones. You do prior proper planning prevents poor performance. I like that. Can I use that? You can use it. Can I use that? I, I just you want to make sure that. I use yep. it. How we talk. Yeah. Talk. Oh, that that's been around long before Howie. <laughs> that's all right. They don't know that. <laughs> Listen, we're, you're yeah. gonna brand it. We're gonna brand it on you. You did that. So one thing you said that was interesting to me is when you made this film and started thinking, you know, wow, this could have an impact. You know, this could go far. Do you go into making films with the idea that I want to make this Oscar worthy? Or is it, I just want to, you know, make an impact or I just want people to see this. Or even sometimes I just want to make a film just to, to do it. Yes. I, yes and no one do with that in aspect because um, the, the, the last film that I did called Evoke, right? It's a, it's a live action short. Uh, it's going to be released on some platforms soon. I'm not sure when it's going to be released, um, but we just got the green light for it. So, um, but basically like that one, it was a story that I had. Um, Tony had called me one night and he said, hey, I got, um, he wanted to do some film. He gave me this his idea, and I was like, oh, your idea is really good, but I think I got a better one. And I told it to him. I read, literally wrote the script in an hour because I had the idea. I just I had it written down. I, I wrote the script in an hour. I sent it to David, um, my DP, and my producer, Rajesh. They read it. They were like, man, this is really cool. David came back, and he told me, look, we could do this on Saturday. We could film it on Saturday. And I was like, oh, for real? So then, you know, we did it. It came out pretty good, you know, and then all of a sudden we're like, I kind of want to send it to a couple of festivals. I did send it to a couple of festivals. They did really good in the festivals. We didn't win, but we placed. Then I was like, man, why not? Let's just, what else we got to do? We're waiting. For, I was in between projects. I was like, hey, let's just let's compete for an Oscar. Why not? I could do it. And we did a theatrical run in Los Angeles and here in Miami. And I'm, I'm still fixated on the fact you wrote a script in an hour. How long was the script? 15 pages. Okay. Actually, it, was, it should have been more, actually. I can't even remember. That's impressive. We were talking with other guests about sometimes you can find yourself sitting at a computer for over an hour just to write one sentence. It's almost be nice when just something almost comes to your brain as a complete package. What I tell you before, obsessed. Obsessed. <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> Great. We're going to we're gonna keep the conversation going, and we'll be right back after this break. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase cinema pathway gear including t-shirts hoodies stickers and more last of all be sure to also follow us on instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more we'll be right back I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with Aaron M. Abelto. So you touched on something quite a few times I think is really important for our listeners to understand, which is the, you know, yes, determination, grit, but the other word you mentioned that really pops out is obsession. Live, sleep, eat, filmmaking, and your films. Uh, let's talk about that. Like how, what does that mean to really be obsessed? 
like you said, live, eat, sleep, do everything that and and what what you know, some people may look at it a different way, you know, obsessed because obsessed, they'll be like, Oh well, obsessed, you're it's kinda cynical and crazy and this, but in reality it's not. What it is realistically is this. When you have a passion for something or or obsession for something, you're going to sacrifice. And a lot of the a lot of the things we do in the film industry is about sacrifice. I've sacrificed literally my social life to do all this. Like I don't have a social life. Like you know, I'm, I am social, but like I learned that you know I would see my friends literally out on yachts and boats and having fun on a weekend. You know, like even today, like you know they're having fun. And I'm like, yeah, man, I got, I got to be in the studio. I got to do this. I got to because you know what I know at the end of the road, I can always do this later on. You know, something like this, you can't just do, you know, part time. You got to do full time. You got to be there on every single time. You got to be there no matter what. You got to show up because the day you show up, someone else is going to catch you. One producer told me this. One of the producers in L.A. told me this. He said to me, he said one time, he said, I won't, I'll keep him nameless, you know, but he, he was pretty much up there. He said, remember this. You must sacrifice what you want or what you need in order to make it. Because here's the thing. I want to make it to this to this level. But I got to sacrifice anything and everything to make it. I got to be obsessed to do that because and it goes it even goes back to, to acting. I was in acting class in Los Angeles one year and I was taking a class and I saw this high end actor come in here. And I said to myself, like, why are you here? Like, you're, you're here. You made it. He said, you know why I'm here? I'm here because of you legit pointed at me. I said, well, why are you pointing at me? Like, I'm, I'm a nobody. He said, because guess what? Even though you think you're a nobody a year, two, three years from now, you're coming to take my job. So I need to stay. I need to stay on point with everything. And I was like, when he told me that, I said, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because the day you take a break, someone that's behind you is, as a day is, is taking that day to catch up to you. So you got to keep going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. Yeah. It's not a commercial. <laughs> it's not an ad. But. This is not an endorsement. And, and I think the other way to talk about that, it's, it's commitment. Like if you really want, with anything, if you really want to be successful, you have to commit to doing it. It's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll... I'll write a little here and there. Oh, maybe I'll do this, you know, a little, maybe try to make a, a little film here. It's like you either have to do it or decide it's it's not for me. A lot of individuals, they get um, they get sidetracked. In essence, because I have a, a, quite a few of my friends will come up to me and be like, I got this movie idea. I'm like, okay, what's up? You know, and then they would, they were like, literally, I want to do this, 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 and this. And I said, okay, so what I need you to do is write a summary, put it together, at least a one sheet, you know, summary of the movie or film or whatever, story, what it is, put it together. Oh, but now I want to give you the idea. And I'm like, why? I'm like, well, what do you give me that? And then they'll be like, well, yeah, I want you to, to make it and this. And I was like, oh, you want me to make it? All right, so let me simplify it for you. All right, so you want me to write the script, put it together, make the movie, get it distributed, and then do what? And put it out there. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, okay, cool. So, so guess what? This is what I'm going to do. I will do all those things. And all I'm going to do is give you a story by credit. And he's like, well, what, 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 what do you mean? Yeah, that's it. You're basically giving me your story. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna. Oh, we're gonna make money. No, 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 no. I'm doing all the work. I'm gonna make the money. Yep. You're gonna get a story by credit. And then they're like, they're like, oh, you're being mean. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you to go do it. Write it. Do all this stuff. Get these the copyrights for it. Do all these. Do all the work. So when you do get ready to make it, you own it. It's yours. And I think giving them a story by credit is is generous at that. You know, I mean, everybody has, you know, you know, fell into this is a lot of times I was like, oh, somebody should make a movie about this. This would make a good movie. This would make a good story. And I finally started writing on myself yeah. and doing that and, and hoping yeah, get get, get into the next step. You're right. You're right. You never know who's listening. And the thing is, is that that when you have an idea, this is it's something like if you think about like Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, all these multi uh, Elon Musk, um, 
all these multi-millionaires, billionaires, these guys, I'm pretty sure they did not say, hey, Howard, I got this idea. Man, I think we, we you, no, they did it, went to it, and they said, hey, man, instead of saying, I got an idea or I'm going to do this, they literally said, hey, Howard, I got this idea. I put all these things together. I just need the funding or I need this. I have all the things. Again, simple example. There's the TV show that we're doing coming up right now. Can't really give a lot of details about it, but I literally went, I financed the whole project and submitted it, you know, basically pitched it to all the networks. Networks were looking at me like, wow, okay, you did our work for us. So, okay, we're going to deliberate and see if we're going to green light it. Literally, that's what they do. Imagine you're a distributor. I'm coming to you and I'm saying, Howard, hey, check this out. I got this idea for this movie. Oh, okay. I need your money to do it. You're going to be like, no. But if I'm coming to you and say, hey, Howard, check this out, my guy. I did this film. It's about such and such and such and such. Here is the uh, digital copy. I want you to take a look at it and tell me if you think you would want it. You're going to say, wow, he did all the work. He did everything. You know what? I might give him a shot. And that's what it is. Go out and do it. Don't just say, I'm going, oh yeah, I'm going to, I think I can do it. No, go out and do it. If, you, if you're really passionate and you're really obsessed and you really want to strive and be great, great out there, go do it. Yep. And to what you said earlier, you're only as good as your last project. The next time you go to this person and say, hey, I have this idea, but I need a little bit just to be able to finish it and do this. You have more of a chance of getting it. Like once, you, once you've proven yourself to someone. Yeah, exactly. Just imagine that. And that's the relationship I have with entertainment studios. Like they literally would be like, well, man, he did. He did uh, Power of Movement. He did Iron Temple. They're like, oh, what's your next project? They're like, oh, okay. You know what? You know what I, I've become to them? One word, reliable. Mm-hmm. When you can become reliable in this industry. And it goes back to really in all types of sales and you know, to our listeners, even think about it if you've ever gone to buy a car or made a purchase that you're as much buying something because of the person, the salesperson, the person who's selling it as you are the product. So really, you know, they're, yes, they're investing in a film, but they're also investing in you. Yeah. yeah. See, so a lot of the times we're, we're getting financiers for projects. I literally tell them you're not investing in the project. I mean, you are investing in the project, but here's the thing. You're investing in me because I have a longer shelf life than the actual project because the project will have a shelf life obviously of like 10 years or whatever but it'll be relevant in the first two three years after that it's depending on where it goes on whatever platform but me i bring out projects every couple years or every two years or every 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 two weeks if i need it to so you see i have the relevancy so once you're a part of me you're a part of me like i'm bringing you with me and that's the that's the point i try to 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 make to individuals that that's why you got to go out there and do stuff and would you want to leverage that into saying like a you know x picture deal with the distributor or do you like kind of being more of a free agent having the freedom to shop stuff around to different different people well another interesting fact so with entertainment studios we have a first a first look deal with them so literally whenever we have something we that they utilize so i mean like we did the tv series they don't do tv series they only do feature films so they're like all right we, we have a first look deal with you so if you want you can come and bring it to us and look at it that's gained by relationships because i am reliable <laughs> so can you explain to our listeners what i'm sure they've heard a lot it's pretty standard industry term first look deal can you explain to them what exactly that means so like a first look deal is basically when a distributor um you can bring it to they, they basically can pass on it if they like it, they'll take it. They can pass on it. A majority of times when you do have that first look deal, most of the distributors keep it. It's only when it's like maybe something that does not fit their category. So we had a project that we were pitching to DreamWorks, right? And DreamWorks was like, hey, we like the idea, but we only do animation. <laughs> so it was like, okay, wait, we sent it to the wrong person. You know, so it was just like, that, that's what it is. Basically, it's like first dibs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we did was we built a relationship with the people at Entertainment Studios. 
And what they did, they were like, hey, wait a minute. We, we may not, this may not be for us, but we got someone else we can give it to. Or you want to send it to them. And that's what happens. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Do studios or distributors with first look deals ever accept or take a project? Not because they want to make it, but they don't want anyone else to. This isn't necessarily for us, but we know someone else might make it. So we don't want someone else to, to make money. We're going to hold on to it. I mean, sometimes that does happen. I mean, you look at Disney, Disney, Disney has some of those things where they do, but they sometimes what I think that they do is they say, all right, we're going to work hand in hand with you. Because in, in reality, a lot of the studios, they want to make money, you know, and, and we all do like I'm, we all do. show business. Exactly. It is a business. So majority of the time you look at where you can leverage your, your moment, because if you look at it and, and this is what another thing, film, I'm talking about this, filmmakers, directors, producers, one of the greatest advice I've ever heard from a producer and a high-end director that I've worked with. Pay attention after a movie to credits. Look at the credits. The credits will tell you a lot because when Disney and Marvel do a movie, there is a multitude of people that are on those things and those people are important. There is a recent article in a widely known national newspaper. I won't say who, but it rhymes with uh, do bork nines why you should stay and read the credits at the end of the movie that talks about that yeah it's important because you learn things you you know what's, in, what's is interesting it's just like kind of off topic in essence um right now there's a film called navalny a great great documentary amazing documentary i did not know and she's my close friend she works at um cnn films uh, her name is ryan she works at cnn films and i'm sitting here and i'm like i watch the film and i'm watching the credits and i see her name i literally called her I'm like, Ryan, I didn't know you produced this. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. This is up for an Oscar. I texted her the next day when I found out she made the um the nominees. Hey, congratulations. Can I, can I be your date to the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> can, like, I be, can I be your plus one? Can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I be there, please? Listen, it's okay. I, I could be, I could fill in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amazed, especially with the Marvel movies, like the sheer amount of people. And I look at it as just managing and wrangling and like, Having a cat herd that many thousands of people and different things to pull together into movie, it's like uh, you know they should write books, not necessarily on filmmaking, but on management. You know, you've studied management. Uh, I mean, managing crews of ten is hard sometimes, and you know these you know crews of a thousands. Yeah, and that's why I say like as a director, you have to be able to you have to be a people people person because when you I noticed that a lot of a lot of my set you know. You could probably poll a whole bunch of people that have worked with me. You know, one of the things that I make sure is I make sure that every single person on that set, doesn't matter if you're a PA, you're a crew member, you're a, um, what's it called again? The catering, whatever. It doesn't matter what you are. I treat everybody the same. There's no hierarchy. You know, there's not, look, I will talk to the same, the same way I'll talk to my DP or my sound person. That's the same way I'll talk to this person because I believe in respect. And then what happens is when you have that respect, it becomes everyone's project. It's not my project. Every interview you can look at that I've done, I've never said this is my project, our project. Yeah, it's interesting. You say there's no hierarchy. And, you know, you mentioned my being in the military. And I've said before that after the military, I think a film set is probably the most hierarchical organization there is. And I like the fact you said that, that yes, you know, you're being respectful to everybody, but still have to maintain that you are the one person in charge. And it's not, you know, it's more like, you know, hey, your role is to be the grip. Your role is to the, your, you know, my role just happens to be I'm the person in charge yeah. and, and look at it that way. 
Well, it, it's just, well, you see, the reason why I say, like, I don't really rule, like, rule, I don't really use it as a hierarchy is because I want individuals to be able to come to me. Because I've been, when I first started, when I was on set, literally, they'd be like, well, you can't talk to the producer. You can't talk to the director. You can't do that. And I've noticed, like, it would it would give me a sense of, like, is that person really a nice person? Because, no, you can't talk to him. Or, He's going to look at you this way. It's like, you're always on your toes. But when I've when I've had that freely fun environment, everybody wants to come back. I have a, a guy. I'm going to mention him. He's going to hate that I mention him. But I'm going to mention you, Woody. Woody, my or, or he's one of my co-stars in uh, a couple of the stuff that I've done. Woody would come to set, do his job, you know, do his acting, and stay after set. And he's like, hey, guys, what do you need me to do? You need me to hold a pole or pick this up? He loved the experience. I, people would say, hey, what are we doing after? And I'm like, we just did a 16-hour day. Like, don't y'all want to go home and rest? I'm like, no, no, no. We want to go do. They had so much fun. And I love that environment because everyone just, when you do something you love, it's not a job. It's fun. You remind me, the first time I was ever a PA on a film, and we're always told, you know, don't touch anything unless told. And even if you're told, don't touch the camera, team's equipment. Don't go near it. Don't look at me. An hour into my first day, Someone on the camera team is like, hey, can you go grab those that lens case? Me? You know, I'm a PA. Yeah. That's your lenses. Yeah. Yeah. We need you to move that. Okay. So you're saying you want me, the PA, to touch and move your lens kit. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely an interesting environment. You know, we've talked a lot about things you've done. We could go on probably for days talking about what you've done. But uh, what do you what do you have coming up next? So we just uh, finished uh, filming a TV TV pilot, you know, to a TV series. Um, and again, it's in the it's in the phase of um, getting greenlit. So we're just waiting to see which platform picks it up. But um, yeah, it's coming soon. And you know, I'll, I'll keep everyone um, in touch on there. You know, um, I'll definitely if you have anything, you follow my social medias. You know, at Aaron Abelto on IG, uh, t- Twitter, uh, Facebook. You know, the whole thing. Uh, AbleToFilm.com. You can find out there. Um, yeah, just. Just keeping, keeping, staying focused and going forward, man. I, I, I learned something, you know, recently in the past couple months is that I don't like to stand still. Even sitting here right now, I'm a little <laughs> bugged out. Like, I'm like, I want to move. <laughs> so after this series comes on the air, uh, can you talk about anything coming up next? Yeah, actually. Yeah. So I have a couple of scripts that I have um, in the mix. I actually have a mafia movie that I wrote um, a while back. And again, like I said, I have this app on my phone that I literally write stuff whenever I'm having downtime and everything. So, you know, I'm always taking I also if anyone has a project and they, they wanna they think it's worthy enough, hey, come contact me and yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Which app? I or tell me afterwards which app. I just use notes. I just use Apple Notes and just just jot stuff down. Hey, it works. It works. <laughs> Whatever works. And and you mentioned your socials. People get in touch touch with you. Um, you found success. As a, as a filmmaker and, and success, you know, it's always a moving target. What advice would you give to young and aspiring filmmakers out there? I, I would say literally just don't give up. You know, I know it's cliche. Everyone says don't give up. Don't give up on your dreams. But in reality, if you really, really want to accomplish something, you got to put in the work. You have to be obsessed. You have to have passion because in reality, you by not having that passion and not having, you know, those drives, how are you going to make it? You know, how are you going to like, and again, you're going to hear no, no is no is going to become part of your vocabulary or you can't or this. I've heard that multitudes of time. Even the big name guys have heard it. You know, the Christopher Nolans, the Steven Spielbergs, they all heard it. But again, you want to work as hard as you can so that at one point, those all those no's turn into yeses. And, and I think something else is important to our listeners to note, uh, you did not go to film school. You have a, you know, you have a master's different fields and yet you've done it. So what 
Where can aspiring filmmakers go to learn? Should they watch movies? Should they read? Combination of both? Is there YouTube channels they should check out? Well, yeah, I mean, all those are great. But here's here's the thing. Majority of you have smartphones. You have a camera in your pocket. Go out there and film stuff. Learn how to edit. You know, just do that. Make a story. One of my first stories I ever did was I took a, a, a camera and filmed a plastic bag floating in the, the wind. And then I put a voiceover on it and a piece of music. It was 10 seconds to 15 seconds or something. That's a movie. So we're in award season. Because of your experience going through that with the Oscars, do you watch the award show or do you, do you not watch them because it's hard? Well, interesting. I don't really watch it if I'm not a part of it, which is kind of kind of messed up. But um, last year, I actually did watch it because I really wanted to see who beat us and that's when quest love beat it and then obviously we saw the biggest uh i guess the biggest slap in the world the slap heard around the world and you know what's funny if i was nominated i literally would have been there because that was the category because it was featured documentary and i'm sitting there wow i'd have probably been there next to will and saying hey uh okay uh, <laughs> it's interesting aaron this has been wonderful uh love talking to you sharing a lot of stories you know like i said we, you know that new york connection that we've had even though you weren't there you know i, th- I think it's always embedded people's hearts and minds uh you know we wish you the best of luck excited to see you know these projects when they when they come on air i'm happy to extend an invitation to you to come back on the podcast anytime you want and uh we wish you the best of luck thank you so much great to be here man i loved everything To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.